Hello, and welcome to Chosen Conversations. We're a group of friends here through the awesome scenes in the Chosen series and talking about how they impact our lives and our faith journey. Today, we're going to be discussing Nicodemus, an important character in the Chosen, and we're going to be tracing him through the series of episode one and his importance. So as we get started today, the first scene that we're going to discuss as a group is the scene um, and follow up from our first episode where Nicodemus realizes that Mary has been healed and all of her demons have been uh, removed from her body and she is a brand new person. She's no longer going by the name Lilith. She's going by Mary. And when he finds this out, he wants to approach Mary and figure out how he was able to heal her. Um, and when he does that, he realizes he wasn't the one that actually was healing Mary and someone else stepped in uh, to save the day and that we know was Jesus. Um, and so today we're going to discuss the importance of that scene, what that means to us, um, and how we feel about that. So, John, Mark, would you like to start us off? Well, yeah, I think, you know, Nicodemus comes to that moment in confusion. You know, he thinks that he's been the one that God has used to heal Mary. He knows it's God. He's not taking credit for it himself. I mean, he, he doesn't ha know how it happened. He just knows that he's getting credit for it. And he was the one who went to exercise the demon, but it didn't seem to work when he was there. But now he sees Mary walking in the street and it's worked. How did that happen? How did I do that? How did God use me? And so he, I think we see inside the head of Nicodemus a little bit there that, that he is one who is devoted to God. He recognizes that a miracle has happened and he wants to investigate it. He wants to, to embrace it. And then he learns that somebody else, not him. And that is a shocker for him. I think Stan said the other, not too long ago, that, that you see the surprise on his face, right, Stan? Yeah, John Mark, you make me think, too, of, of uh, how well you talk about in Nicodemus's head. Mary seems almost just as surprised. Uh, she she doesn't remember any of what Nicodemus is remembering. She doesn't even remember the incense he says he burns or the steps he went through. It's all a blur to her. She's shocked that he knows. Well, well he calls her Lilith first, and then and then she says, "I don't go by that name anymore." And uh, they're both kind of in shock of how she is the way she is now, which is a redeemed person, uh, even getting ready to host a Shabbat dinner that. Uh, you know, it's just a totally different situation. So, David, did you, did you, did you see something else? Well, I did. I did see both. How they were both shocked, right? How she uh, realized that he knew her, and that apparently he tried to heal her, and she couldn't. And also, how Nicodemus. It's I mean, you're so focused on him because how he realized that it wasn't him, and how sometimes we all have those moments, whether we're children or whether we're adults or youth. I mean, I don't know. We all realize how powerful Jesus is and how he works in our lives. And that shocking moment that Nicodemus experienced, I think we can all relate to experiencing that in one way or shape or form, how we can all be in shock when we realize that Jesus is real today and he's been real all along. And, and that's just a moment that that, that scene portrays us pretty well how, how we can all experience that. Yeah, I think we see that in that scene, we see two extremes. We have the the sedge, we have the uh, Pharisee who's a part of the Sanhedrin, who has elite status, who's been invited to Capernaum to teach the other Pharisees 
I mean, this guy's at the top of his world, right? And highly respected, holy man. And Mary is the exercised woman who um, has no status, who can barely afford to even have a Shabbat dinner, who is worried about whether she can do this well or not. So you have this tremendous contrast. And it also it tells us, well, who did Jesus go to? Jesus went to Mary. Not he didn't, he didn't go to the great teacher in Capernaum and reveal himself. He went to Mary and reached down to her, reached for her to give her hope. And I think she was surprised by that, wasn't she? Yeah. You see that. Yeah. As the scene concludes, um, we see Mary saying, sorry, Nicodemus, I've got to run. I've got to get ready for Shabbat dinner. And he says, well, you're so healed that you can host your own dinner. And she's like, of course. And and she even tells him that, you know, my life has been forever changed and I'll follow him forever. Um, and because he healed her and, and rescued her from her pit, um, her life was never the same and she will forever devote herself to him. And she even states that um, I don't really know what happened to me, but I know that he was the one um, that did it. And he was the one that was the difference. Um, Stan, can you quote that? You'd like to quote that in our in our sermons. Can you quote that awesome quote that Barry says? Yeah, she, she ends that scene by saying that um, she was one way and now she's totally different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And Haley, you've made me think while you were saying that as you're, as you're walking us kind of out of that scene and as we go kind of where we're going to go next, um, Nicodemus really didn't learn anything. I mean, he learned that he wasn't the one who exercised the demons, as John Marcus said, but he didn't really get any other answers. And so what's fascinating is his next step is to come back to Mary, his newly, his newly acquainted person, right, and say, hey, you think you could get me a, an invitation to meet Jesus or, or where will he be next or whatever. And, and doesn't that take us to the, to the scene later in The Chosen where the roof is opened and the, and the paralytic is let down and all of a sudden Nicodemus becomes a witness to Jesus doing something that this time he sees? Yeah, this is the first time he sees Jesus, right? It's the first time he makes the connection because he sees Mary there and he sees Jesus there and says, oh, wait a minute, this is... Was this the person who healed you? And I just saw my own, I saw in my own eyes a miracle. I mean, I believed your story because I saw you before you were healed. And now, I, I, now I've seen it for myself. I've seen it with my own eyes. I got I to gotta talk to this guy. I, I got to know who he is. I got to understand this. You see, I think um, Nicodemus is a searcher here. He's not closed off. He's not shut down. He's a seeker. He hasn't let his status as teacher in the law to, uh, he hasn't let that status close him off from what God is doing in his, in his presence, in, in, in his world. Yeah, and there's still, there's still maybe a little bit of, like you did for us last episode, John Mark, you said, I hope we hear uh, the Lord say to Mary her name again on resurrection morning. Similarly, you just put in my mind, I can't wait till later in The Chosen when Nicodemus shows up at the crucifixion with Joseph of Arimathea for the body. But there does seem to be a little bit of a 
not a veil so much, but like a buffer. Like his his ego is not really in play. He is a seeker, like you're saying, but he's also reserved just a little bit yeah. because of yeah. maybe his position. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see more of that at, in in later episodes of of Nicodemus, where he has to struggle with a decision, right? But right now he's asking. I need to see Jesus. Can I meet with him? I'll meet with him at night. I'll meet, you know, we can do this in private. Uh, he, he just wants to find a way in to have a conversation with Jesus. And and it's that kind of seeking. And it's not a seeking where he wants, I want to go talk to this guy so I can set him up to be condemned by the law, you know, or to be condemned by the authorities. I got to know who he is. That's That's the seeker part of it, it seems to me. Davi, how, how did you hear that conversation on the route? What what goes through your mind when you think about the conversation that takes place between Jesus and Nicodemus at night? Yeah, that was that was a very powerful conversation. Just hearing uh, how it all comes to be, you know, how it, they're sneaking in at night because Nicodemus has his name and he's a renowned person that teaches the law and knows the law, and so he has to come in at night and it's secret so they don't see him meeting with Jesus, and then the questions he asks. And how amazed he is at the answers and about and and, and what Jesus is teaching. That's just that is just powerful. Hmm. I thought it was interesting that that the disciples wanted. I mean, the, the the night thing is almost as much a part of the disciples wanting safety for Jesus as it is Nicodemus wanting you know cover <laughs> for his own situation. Kind of works both ways. At least that's how the chosen portrayed it. What I like about this scene is it takes basically like a new believer almost. You can look at it through the lens of a new believer, just learning about Jesus for the first time and who he is and his power. It's like the first moment when you realized who Jesus was in your life and and what he could do and just who he was and how much he meant to you. And I just see all this curiosity and wonder in the eyes of Nicodemus and just having so many questions and wanting to learn. And um, I feel like a lot of people watching The Chosen that may not know the answers to those questions, he answers them in those conversations with Nicodemus on the rooftop. Um, and so I really, really think that's very powerful for our watchers of The Chosen. I really like the words you use there, Haley. Curiosity, wonder, questions. Not questions, not questions to trap, but questions to understand. Because he's really interested in this. The um, the the acting that the individual does for Nicodemus is so powerful because on that rooftop there's so much emotion coming out. Uh, plus, it's the famous text that is Haley saying, "What if what if this is somebody who either isn't well versed in Christianity or just coming to it? This is John three sixteen. This is the verse that's up behind the goalposts in every NFL football game. This is." <laughs> almost everybody knows, right? And they nail it when they say, when Jesus says, the the you know that God loves the world in this way, that He would send His His Son, and then Nicodemus shows that his his um his commanding knowledge of the Scripture. He goes right to Psalm two and starts quoting from Psalm two, uh, realizing who Jesus is, and then the hug, the embrace is like, oh my goodness, you know, to have Jesus hug you like that. And Nicodemus is sort of submitting and saying, I'm not even worthy, you know, to to be here with you because I now think I understand 
who I might be with. All of that is, you wouldn't even need the script. Just just the emotions and the, the way Nicodemus' expressions are, especially when Jesus hugs him, um, just make, it gives you such an appreciation, hopefully, for the Nicodemus human being that we read about in Scripture, and he's come alive in a way that just makes you feel like he's going to be a friend of ours when we meet him. Mm, yeah, I really appreciate the way you, you've phrased that. Because I, I think sometimes reading John chapter 3, we come away thinking Nicodemus is unconvinced or Nicodemus is still on the outside in terms of commitment. He, he's still the curiosity person. Uh, we don't get a sense from reading John 3 often that of the picture that we get in, in The Chosen. And I really like the interpretation that the, the Chosen brings to this moment. That after quoting John 3.16, you know, we don't know if Jesus actually said that or if that's John's editorial, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is the point. And Nicodemus responds to it by getting on his knees and using the text that you mentioned, Stan. You know, Psalm 2, I will kiss the son. He's doing that on his knees. And Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. It's about the king and about the nations will kiss the son. Um and so he's submitting. I think that's right. I think he's submitting. He's recognizing who he's in the presence of, and he's. I think there's a there's a commitment there. There's a there's a sense of I want to be here. I want to belong to this, and the the emotion. And I think the emotion is is, is present. It gives us that picture the way he's emoting that kind of honor and uh, um, embrace and tears, he's deeply touched. And there's a tick of humor because he says, mm -hmm. he says, if I have to be born again, my mom has passed away. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, I even yeah. thought that was well done. Well, I mean, that brings out the humor in that text, right? Should a man be born again? You know, yeah, like enter into his mother's womb. That, that probably was said with a little yeah, or sarcasm, that's, a, you know? that's a direct reflection of scripture. And if you are someone that is new to reading the word, if you read, you must be born again, that's a very, you know, normal question that you might have. How can I be born again physically? That's not possible. And so I love how in that scene, it shows us that is not what he means by being born again. And he does uh, explain that to Nicodemus. And I'm really glad we have that example from scripture in the chosen. Yeah. And going back to John 3.16, what I was going to say, is it's just powerful how we all know these texts. We have read through cha John chapter 3, but just seeing it in video and seeing the interaction, how it possibly could have been, you know, uh, when Nicodemus and Jesus just having a conversation. There's, sure much, there's, there's just so much power in that scene that sometimes it makes you want to cry. Sometimes it makes you want to be so joyful about it and how, how the interaction occurred and how that is present today, how that's... Jesus is welcoming me today and welcoming newcomers to the kingdom as well in today's world. And it's just a, a visual effect that we can't really get sometimes when we just are reading past through the scripture. Yeah, so David, you, you shared with us last time that you're a visual learner. So I had a question for you about that. As John Marcus mentioned, that Psalm 2 and that submissive, submissive stance and, and kneeling down and kissing the ring and then he quotes the rest of it, lest, lest he be angry. And then Jesus stands him up and has him finish that text as 
you don't have, I think, I think he even says you don't have to do that when he, when he bows down. So how, how did that come across to you visually compared to just reading it? It's, I mean, there's, there's no way to put, to me, it's just, it's just different. I mean, I know, I know there's power in the Bible as a scripture, like it is. That's obviously a powerful tool, but when you see things, I mean, seeing and believing it's just, even if it's a video, even if it's recorded, even if it's dramatization, I just feel like there's so much power in actually seeing how the interaction could have happened in, in real life. And there's, there's no way to, to define how that makes you feel. It's just, it's just putting yourself in that place and saying, that's me. And that's how Jesus is welcoming me and how he's treating me today. Uh, before we move on to the, to the next part of the story, remember how John and, and it's Peter, isn't it? John and Peter are, are kind of on the stairs listening and, and John's writing stuff down, you know, like, <laughs> John, how, John, how did you know they were, that, that was a private conversation, man. You know, you're, you're eavesdropping on it and writing it down and now you're going to publish it in a book. You know, that, <laughs> I thought that was, that's a little humor as well in, in, in the chosen. And, you know, to make a good story, you have to have humor. Uh, you have to have conflict. And that's what the Gospels have. The Gospels have that. We just don't see it as easily because when we read the Gospels, we think humor is irreverent or humor is sacrilegious or... No, humor is part of life, part of the joy of living. And so that little scene where John's writing stuff down, you know, I thought that was really interesting. But now Nicodemus has got a decision to make, right? And he's going he's gonna to have to struggle with that. And, and a couple of scenes that come up are he's struggling with his student, Shmuel, right? He's struggling with the student who honors Nicodemus, who, who is deeply ingrained with the teaching of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is talking with him. And Nicodemus is also talking with his wife. Maybe one of you like to share... What do you got from either one of those interactions? What are you, what are you hearing from Nicodemus in either one of those interactions? I don't have to do that, but I wanted to say just for clarity, you're at the end of that scene on the roof is when Jesus actually invites Nicodemus to follow him, right? Well, he joins. That's right. And That's so right. the the real the real predicament is how does someone at Nicodemus's age in the position that John Mark you've mentioned that he's in with probably grandchildren and other things, how does he take that invitation not only seriously, but how could he actually act on it? So Haley. Yeah. Well, when I saw that, um, I identified with Nicodemus. I think we all can. Um, he's, you know, Jesus says, come follow me. And Nicodemus says, how can I? I have my, my work, my wife, my family, all my responsibilities. And I have so much to give up. He literally quotes that. And Jesus says, well, what you're giving up is far less than what you'll be gaining when you follow me. Um, and that's very deep um, to me. And we, we will see, as we're talking about our next scenes and, and the journey of Nicodemus, how he does struggle with that battle of wanting to follow Jesus. And he almost does. But we're going to see how some things kind of get in the way for him and his journey with that. I like your almost does. Maybe... Um... Almost physically does, but hopefully spiritually and mentally he does, yes. um, because we do we do kind of see him go uh, to Shemuel, and they have a conversation that is uh, I guess like two cohorts would have. Um, he had he asks him to read Nicodemus asks Shemuel to read for for him from Isaiah sixty one, and he Isaiah had, forty, sorry forty it was Isaiah forty. 
Oh, I'm a mistake. Yeah, sorry, 40. Um, where he where he says, I will send the one ahead, you know, that, that will make way make the way straight. And then he says, who does that sound like? And Shmuel Im- immediately says, John the heretic, because they've heard him say that. And then there's a discussion about whether or not God can have sandals or not. So, David, what, individually, again, how, how did that comment about the sandals uh, bring Scripture to life? I mean, I think that's that's very funny and how, you know, that is true even in today's world, how we sometimes read the Bible so textual and we do want to box God, the Almighty, into that little section that we boxed out for him according to what the text says. And that's a lot, I mean, to take in even in, even even us, you know, and, and to take in and to just analyze what we believe and what we think and how we sometimes do box him into that box. And then it's funny how, how Nicodemus replies, so you're boxing the Almighty. Like you don't think the Almighty can come out of that box and take the shape of a human being? Yeah, I love, I love the kind of principle, kind of interpretive principle that he lays out there. If God does something surprising, which is more likely? That God did not do it, or that your interpretation of Scripture is wrong. You know, you're going to let God's work in your life help you interpret Scripture, or are you going to get your own interpretation and put some boundaries on God and say, "No, God can't do that. God can't become a human being. That just can't happen," because Scripture says X, Y, and Z. When maybe it's not what Scripture says; it's what we think it says. And that that's the problem, is our interpretation and not what Scripture says itself. And John Mark, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it Philo that said something astute like that and said uh, the likelihood of a human being becoming a god was just as likely as God becoming a human being? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it would be a very common concept, especially in a Hellenistic culture. Uh, you know, gods, there are gods, and there are these myths and stories about gods, but for for one to become a human being and it's and being a fully human being, not just a theophany or an appearance or a ghost, but to become fully human, yeah, that that means God has to change and God has to be something else, you know. So yeah, in the Platonic kind of world, no, God can't do that. That's a box that God cannot get out of. He's stuck. Can't become human. And so interestingly, what David was saying, and what I remember from that scene too, is that Shemuel is using Scripture to argue with Nicodemus. Um, Scripture becomes weaponized against Yahweh on what he can and cannot do. Haley, I'd be interested to hear from you about the scene with Nicodemus and his wife, the kind of struggle that that Nicodemus experiences there. How did you hear in that scene? Well, I admire the scene because it kind of shows, um, you know, the relationship between a husband and wife and things that you talk about. And I liked how Nicodemus, you know, trusted in his wife uh, and tried to confide in her. But, um, you know, again, his wife wasn't witnessing what he was witnessing and experiencing what he was experiencing. And so it kind of correlates with, you know, Shmuel and his other, um, you could call them co-workers with the Sanhedrin, um, that... I think the world wasn't yet ready to catch up with what Nicodemus might have been understanding and uncovering about Jesus. And Jesus keeps saying, you know, my time has not yet come. He, he told Mary that. He told his mother that. We'll see at, at the wedding. Um, and I just think it's a great example of um, our life priorities, the things that we focus on, 
um, can seem more important than, you know, just dropping everything and following Jesus, but that is what we're called to do. Um, so yeah, I think that's very powerful. Yeah. Dropping everything. I like the way you said that. I mean, that here, here would be a person that would be the epitome of that, right? A leader in his faith, a teacher of renown, has power, has authority, has wealth, has grandchildren, right. has a dedicated wife. I mean, this is all that you would want, right? And right. and Jesus says, well, you're going to have more. And that's probably, how can you even conceive how he would have more? Uh, and so the struggle to follow Jesus, do I really, do I really want to follow Jesus when I have to give up this, you know, when I, when I, it's going to cost me to follow Jesus. I'm going to lose respect. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose reputation. I'm going to lose my family, perhaps. Wow. You got to, you know, if I'm just sitting in his, in his seat, wearing his shoes, that, that is just a, I, I can't imagine that kind of struggle. And that's just, that's just real life. That's a real struggle that happened in the show like a thousand years ago, but it also happens today. Mm, it happens yeah. today with so many of us that we have to decide between, do I really want to follow Jesus and maybe my, my business is not aligned with the beliefs that now I have and how much I losing by doing that. And, and in an earthly world, you are losing possessions. You are losing money, but in a God yeah. world, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to get. Out of it. Yeah, there there are many people who follow choose to follow Jesus and they lose a lot. They lose their family. I think about you know Muslims who come to faith in Jesus and what they lose in terms of the connections they have. So yeah, I think you're right, David. It, this is a struggle that people will face today, and oh, and we face you. it in in, you know, in our own lives. Am I really gonna? follow Jesus and treat my money the way Jesus calls me to treat it, you know, and to be generous and share and care for the poor? Or am I going to try to follow Jesus and keep everything? So each of you has made me really contemplate this. I I hand it to the writers that uh, where everything that's been said is is exactly um, correct and, and, you know, real. I, I think what they did in the in the last episode of season one, where Nicodemus is offered by Jesus, "Hey, meet us at dawn at the fountain, and we're going to head out, and you're welcome to join us." And the way it's portrayed is that Nicodemus is at the fountain, but he's around the corner and he's watching kind of from the side. And there's a gift, uh, I'm assuming, of money or you know something something of value in order to help them on uh, on their mission, yeah. and. I found the love that was stitched through those episodes. What we're talking about now with Nicodemus and his wife. You know, Nicodemus could have been, he could have become very combative with his wife and said, I'm the man of the house. We're going to do this. I'm, I know more than you do. Or I see things as, as Haley said that maybe you don't see. And so this is for your good. But instead, he submitted to his wife and he showed her that he loved her. And he recognized that at their age, to throw everything to the wind and become nomads would have been very challenging and wouldn't have made any sense to her. And she begs him, this is the life that I am happy with and that I want. But instead of it being, you know, a typical type Bible study thing where what's the lesson here? You know, he didn't understand. He didn't actually follow him. He does follow him. 
He just doesn't physically go. And Jesus even has a response of, oh, you came so close. And he shows his love to Nicodemus that almost non-verbally, in Jesus' expression, I see and hear, I understand, Nicodemus, I understand. It would have it would have caused you more pain than you can do, but you're with us in your support, and you're with us, uh, as we've mentioned earlier tonight, um, we'll see in the future that Nicodemus doesn't disappear. He's still a disciple of Jesus, even though he's not with the Twelve or with the throng of people that are following him from town to town. Does that, does that resonate with, with y'all? Well, you know, I think, I think it's tough. It's really tough because when you have that scene and the cameras, pulled, you know, coming into Nicodemus and he's weeping around that corner, he has regrets, he has deep sadness. There's this kind of like, and Jesus says, you, you came close. It's like he's a secret disciple. Yeah. He's a secret disciple. He's not confessing publicly. He, he's, he has a commitment. He has a, a, he has a faith. But it's it's he's not going to put it all out there just yet. He's not going to put it on the line. So I don't know what did the creators of chosen want us to understand by that moment. Um, and and what I what I see in it is a person who really wants to follow Jesus, who would really love to be on that journey, who would love to be able to embrace fully the mission, but he can't pull the trigger because he's so entrenched where he is. And that that decision, as, as David said, I, mean, I think a lot of people live in that tension. That, that's a tension we all live in at some point. I think it's true of all our lives that we live in that tension because sometimes what Jesus calls us to, it's really hard to pull the trigger. And it's tough to forgive that person. And it's tough to rejoice when the sinner comes home. And it's tough to to discern what to do with our wealth and our power and our status. You know, I, we all, we're all sitting there with Nicodemus weeping, it seems to me, in some way. I see reality. I see this is a direct example of our lives today, like you were saying, John Mark, and we all have priorities and responsibilities. Try to put yourself in the shoes of Nicodemus. Would you leave everything? Would you drop everything? And like you said, become a nomad? When you're seen as the leader of your family, the leader of the Sanhedrin, um, I completely understand. Very powerful. And as we'll see later on, I mean, Nicodemus does show up ultimately. But there is a line in John, you know, John chapter 12, which says that there are people who believe in Jesus, but they won't confess publicly. And that's kind of where Nicodemus is right now. That's going to change. But right now, and I think that's why he's sitting on his rear end weeping, right? Because he knows that this isn't really what, what he should be doing. But he can't quite step over the line just yet. And I think we have a lot of, we all, it seems like we all have a lot of sympathy for that. We can understand that. Even though the call of Jesus is, follow me. I really appreciate you pointing that out. I mean, that it is, it is exactly as you say, he's in that position where he, we wish he would publicly confess. I guess the only thing I'm holding in tension a little bit 
is oftentimes people come to Christ and repentance, you know, rethinking or thinking causes them to realize that some decision in the past that they've made, um, they, they would not make again the same way. But to be good um, custodians or to be good even ambassadors of Jesus, Nicodemus still needs to love his wife. He still needs to care for his family. He can't just he can't just say, "Well, now that I know this, I can be unloving towards my spouse and just rip up their whole their whole understanding of of normalcy." And so, I guess that's what I meant. I mean, I do wish he would publicly confess Jesus and run that risk, yes. But I also understand that because he's a loving individual and believes Scripture and the Bible and God and now Jesus, he's wrestling with. How do I not wound those that I, that my dis, my past decisions have now put me in this predicament that John Mark mentioned so well? And does that make sense? I'm not trying to make an excuse. Yeah, yeah I I understand what you're saying, and I and I could hear that, and I can appreciate that. At the same time, maybe it would be a different twist if Nicodemus had said to his wife, "But I want you to meet Jesus." Oh yeah. Yeah, you know why? Why don't you come with me to see Jesus? You know, but even that he couldn't do because of the public nature of that. And you know, it it just I think it really highlights how difficult it is to truly follow Jesus. It's difficult. John Mark, something you said just sparked my sparked my heart. Um, I was thinking like you know like we talked about in episode one. Um, Jesus meets us where we are, and some people may not feel ready to follow Jesus in that moment. If you're approached with something, you may not feel the courage to take that leap of faith, but right. Jesus always meets you where you are, and I believe that maybe down the road, you know, Jesus will still be calling for you, and you may be ready, and who's to say that, you know, God and Jesus didn't use Nicodemus where he was in the Sanhedrin um, yeah. to, to share the gospel, share the good news of who Jesus was, and and, you know, I truly believe that God has a plan for everything and all things will work for the good. So um, it could have worked out all according to his plan. Yeah, that's a good good point, Haley, that as we look at the further part of the story, Nicodemus's presence in the Sanhedrin um, is going to have an impact of some kind. And he's still in the Sanhedrin because he is the secret disciple, <laughs> not not a public one. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the story we've told and all everybody's contribution. It, the Nicodemus story doesn't get a lot of play in the Gospel of John. It gets a few verses here and there, that one big one in chapter 3. But as the Chosen has portrayed Nicodemus, we've been able to see ourselves in his story. And we've been able to see how becoming a disciple of Jesus is not just like, oh yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Um, it is a difficult struggle to make a decision to follow Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen.